Welcome to Bookcase and Coffee Presents Drinks with the Bees. Um, I'm Becky for bookcaseandcoffee.com, and in this episode of the Drinks with the Bees, we are talking with a variety of people who are part of the publishing industry and focused mostly on the romance genre. Each guest brings a unique perspective to the discussion. I'm excited to talk with each and every one of them and kind of give you guys an idea of what we can expect from romance in the coming year. Maybe some of the trends in romance. Um, so welcome, everybody. Thanks for coming to the podcast tonight. Uh, so in our traditional uh, Drinks with the Bees way, I'm going to ask you all what you're drinking. You can tell me what you're drinking and then give me a little bit about your role in the publishing industry. So we will start with Miss Jody. Jody, what Hi. are you drinking? Um, actually, if you believe it, I'm drinking moonshine. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm in, Kentucky. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm in Kentucky. Actually, I'll get the like to show y'all. Um, and uh, I have a cousin who makes moonshine. So oh, I, I'm not a huge drinker normally, but and this is like the only liquor I have in my house right now. So I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, just like some raspberry moonshine on ice. <laughs> awesome. Classy. You win. Um, <laughs> she wins for coolness awards today. Um uh so yeah, uh I'm a, I'm an author. Um I guess kind of like uh indie self-pub and traditional at this point as well. So, yeah. yeah you just got a contract with St. Martin Press, right? Yes, I did. Congratulations. Congratulations. Congrats. Thank you so much. So, I'm super okay. excited. Yeah, we're excited for you. Um, Miss Austin, what are you uh, drinking tonight? So sadly, uh, alcohol has identified itself as a migraine trigger for me. So oh. I have been cutting out alcohol. So I'm drinking an horchata, which is like a Mexican rice cinnamon drink. It's really good. It's still fun. So um, <laughs> but that was a, a disappointing just... discovery. Um, Sad. Life happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Getting older. Um, but my role, uh, I directed and produced the documentary Naughty Books, which was about the rise of self-publishing post Fifty Shades of Grey, which is available on Amazon and iTunes. And we have some fun streaming news uh, coming up. We just can't share it yet, but soon. Yay. You know when to, you know where to tell me and we'll share. I do. You know. I will let you know. <laughs> um, thank you. Awesome. Uh, Jennifer, what are you drinking tonight? I'm boring. I'm having water. That's okay. I am too, sister, like right here. So you're good. Um, and I'm a publicist at Wildfire Marketing Solutions. And we handle all different kinds of marketing for romance authors and not just, you know, any kind of indie authors, traditional authors. So it's fun. Awesome. I, lo I love doing it. <laughs> Um, Liz, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, unfortunately, I have to go back to editing after this, so I'm drinking water with an enormous amount of caffeine added. <laughs> that coffee? That's uh, no, it's like caffeinated crystal light, and I uh, I abuse Fiji water with it. Wow. There you go. <laughs> so tell everyone what is your role in the publishing industry. Uh, I'm the publisher of Entangle Publishing. Uh, I run the company and I also um, edit. Yeah. And you have a wonderful staff. I just have to tell you, your staff at Entangled are so Aren't they the amazing? So, I love them. Ricky, she answers all my questions. <laughs> so, um, Lauren, uh, what are you drinking tonight? 
Um, well, it's kind of late here, but I still have a little bit of Captain and Coke left from when I was watching the Super Bowl earlier. <laughs> you making me the only one. <laughs> I was the only one. I wasn't actually really watching it. I was just in the room. Um, <laughs> and I am a uh, contemporary romance author, uh, self-published, and I have um, a series of two books uh, and two more coming in the series. And that's where I am at this point. Yes, but you actually got your start in fan fiction. I did, yes. Um, and so, and uh, quite a few of my um, best writing friends who are also uh, self-published authors, we were in the same fandom. So now we're here. Now you're all here. <laughs> and I'm also, um, and I'm also querying a manuscript. So I'm, I'm kind of sampling all the waters. <laughs> trying to do it, trying to do a little bit of all of it. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's just kind of get into this. Um, as we all know, 2020 was not an easy year for all of us, um, for just many different reasons across the board. Um, but I do think that we saw some good come out of 2020. Uh, I think that there were lots of new authors um, out in the world. I think we got a lot more books than we traditionally get. It felt like they're just releases seemed to come pretty fast this year. Maybe it was just me. Um <laughs> Overall, does anybody have any big things they want to share that happened in 2020 for them? Um, Austin released her documentary. I did. Yes. <laughs> that was big. <laughs> I was happy. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. that was a passion project. You had how many years in that before? So it was, I had worked on it for seven years from start oh, wow. to finish. Um, so yeah, we started shooting in 2013. Wow. Um yeah, so yeah, it was a long process. Um, some of that is just the, the process of documentary that you need time for. I needed time for the things to happen in the authors I was following in their careers. We needed to see what would happen with that. Um, and then part of that's just like the life of an indie filmmaker. It's not all that different from an indie author in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, so that was big for me. I think an interesting thing about 2020 was that everyone was kind of on the same level in a certain way. Like, you know, nobody could do a big book tour. Almost nobody was mm -hmm. having theatrical releases for movies. So it kind of brought everybody into the same line, which I thought was an interesting path. Yeah, that, it's true. I mean, we were all kind of like leveled playing field. It was a matter of your reach and how much social mm -hmm. media you can put out because there wasn't really traditional shopping um, or events. I mean, that's something I've seen a lot from a lot of authors is that there was no convention season this year. Mm -hmm. So they're missing their interactions with their fan base and stuff. So um, anybody else have anything big they want to share that happened for them in 2020? I, I mean, I got my deal, which <laughs> was really <laughs> wild. I mean, it's been... Um, it's been super wild to like have what is arguably like one of the best things to ever happen to me in my life. Yeah. To happen during what is one of the worst times. <laughs> That's um, fair. But yeah, but I mean, like there's just, I don't know that there's any hiding my sort of happiness, um, especially when it comes from like uh, the book that, um, or the first book, it's a three book deal, but the book that originally sold is really one um from my heart like uh, it's exploring it's a romance of course exploring like um, mental health and mental illness with two MCs who um deal with like mental health and mental illness in a way 
like rather in the t- I started writing it when I was really having like a reckoning of my own um so it's definitely like that sort of like splitting myself open and pouring myself on the page and I was I was just shocked half shocked half like elated that people were like yeah I'm into this and it's horny too which is always (laughs) you know what I mean like (laughs) it's really horny so uh, either way up yeah um it won't be out until 2022 with St. Martin's Press but yeah I'm waiting that's so exciting but yeah it is I'm super excited (laughs) (laughs) that's really exciting um and Lauren you actually released your very first book in 2020 I re- released both of them in 2020, one, one right before the pandemic and one right in the middle of the pandemic. So those are two different experiences, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> the second one I uh, released while homeschooling my kids, so that was a lot harder. But the first one I actually released right after I had uh, surgery. So both times, <laughs> the editing oh, wow. and final production were very stressful, so... <laughs> different yeah. in different ways for different reasons but yeah 2020 yeah 2020 was my year for two books and then I get same thing it was like a crazy terrible year but it was also kind of cool kind of a good year <laughs> yeah I mean there's always good that can come out of the bad Jennifer and Liz anything big on your publishing side or the marketing side for you guys this year this year or last year yeah, or last year 2020 sorry um I, I it feels like it all goes together yeah right <laughs> it just kind of all blends together um last year we doubled in size wow. um we doubled our annual revenue so that was pretty That's exciting great. um and we're able to give everyone who works for us a really nice fat bonus to kind of help wow. for significant others that may have been laid off kind of help mm-hmm. with that a little um we had a book uh, Crave, and then the sequel, Crush, that released last year yeah. that we just went into our 11th printing of um, in hardcover. Wow. That's amazing. That's also exciting. Congratulations. Um, thank you. And Universal's making it into a movie. They just signed <gasps> the script. Wow. Who, wow. No, wait, who wrote Crave and Crush? Wasn't that, was that? Tracy Wolf. Tracy Wolf. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I fell in love with her with her Ethan Frost series, which if you haven't read, it's one of those book series that you'll go, what the heck did I just read? It's four books. (laughs) You spend the entire time going. Such a good writer. She's amazing. We we finished editing the third book for that series in November um, because we had to drop ship so early for a Target promo. And it's literally been killing us because it doesn't release until March 2nd. Oh, but we're pretty excited about it. That one's been doing uh, incredibly well. And then I guess I kind of have this habit of I read the news neurotically, all sorts of news, not just politics, um, archaeology, geography news, like anything I could possibly find. Um, And I try and predict where the country or the world is going to be mentally a year from now so a year prior to this past year before the pandemic believe it or not i actually thought people would like to get outside of contemporary the contemporary sales were going to wane just a little bit so we doubled down on historicals and all of our historicals became bestsellers last year Wow! just coincided with the pandemic which just lifted those sales up even higher and then of course drove the interest in bridgerton 
and now that's such a big hit. So we're going to, yeah. I think, continue to see historicals do really well this year. Um, and then uh, uh, we have some really exciting women's fiction that's coming out too, that I think is yeah. going to be. Yeah, the burbs are back to the burbs burbs. that was Avery Flynn and Tracy Wolf wrote together. So that's exciting. And we just had um, Amelie Howard. She was on on Saturday afternoon. We did a live boozy tea with her about her Rake Hell of Raw uh, book that comes out on February the 9th. And that was awesome. It's so well, the good. The first book in that series last year was picked as one of by Oprah. Oprah magazine as one of the ten best historicals of all time. Yeah, which was pretty exciting for that one. Interestingly enough, when we first contracted that book and wanted to publish it, Walmart and Target were quite sluggish on releasing historicals and mass market paperback, and I literally begged, and it released in <laughs> November and then became a huge hit. And now historicals are really. Yeah, uh, coming with their own, and that's part of paperback. Mm-hmm. I'll get to that. We call it the Bridgerton effect in the blogging world. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we're all calling it. <laughs> uh, Jennifer, what anything exciting for Wildfire or in the marketing? We've been growing quite a bit. Um, you know, during the pandemic, different bloggers would say we get a mix of responses. Some would say, you know, they they felt like they couldn't concentrate on reading, and then we had some on the complete other side that would say that was all they were doing just to kind of, you know, escape everything that was going on. Um, so, you know, it was, it was just interesting to see the way um, it affected not only bloggers, but readers, you know, readers would say kind of the same thing. Some would be, I am reading so much more right now just to forget about life, I guess. And, yeah. um, and some authors, you know, they, they wrote more than they ever did. And then some felt that, you know, they just couldn't focus. So it was, you know, just different seeing different sides of it and um, just, you know, growing and, and reading new genres and hearing about just a lot of different um, experiences that people went through. And, and some people have even said, you know, even with rom-com that, a lot of rom-com had helped them through, you know, the rough time. And so it, it was really eye-opening to see the different sides of, you know, yeah. both bloggers, readers, authors. It was really... Um, I had moments where I would read a book during pandemic and we're in a pretty tight mm-hmm. quarantine in our house. And I would read a moment like where they went to like a large event or gathering and it talks mm-hmm. about the crowd. Mm-hmm. And I would like hyperventilate a little like, I know, what? It's, <laughs> true. <laughs> I know. it's true. It's true. Um, but, you know, reading is an escape. It always has been for me. And I know for lots of people mm-hmm. too that are readers, it's, it's the escape that is great. Um, so I took polls of everybody on social media. I have a Patreon group. We took some polls and some of the topics that we're going to talk about, they kind of came up with a little bit. So one of the things that came up a couple of times is we seem to be as an industry focusing more on putting trigger warnings on our books. Mm-hmm. Um, and some authors are very vague in their trigger warnings and others are very specific with their trigger warnings. Um, do you think that we're going to start to be more specific? Do you think that this is an ongoing trend um, that we're going to see in romance just to make sure that we're being sensitive to what our readers are living in their lives? Any thoughts? 
Yeah. Do you I hate mean, trigger warnings? I, Does everybody hate them? <laughs> yeah. I mean, as um, as an author, I've been putting them in my books. I plan on doing it, you know, as much as as I can. I think I know it's you know a controversial opinion. I I know that there are a lot of writers who view very specific trigger warnings um, as a spoiler um, for like the things that happen in their stories. I I don't know that I can necessarily speak to that. I can just say that like in my own books, it's important to me to not harm people accidentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I talk, if I like, you know, talk about bring something up, if we're just talking about like parental neglect or something, you know, they're like all people have triggers. They're very sure. real. I have them. Um, and I don't want someone's ex- day to be ruined uh, because they happened to cross something in my romance that, that, you know, just kind of really set them on edge. And if yeah. that means, you know, that, that that means there are people who won't read my books that's that's totally fine um and i i really really appreciate when i get them in books as well because i've definitely you know started reading you know like a straight contemporary and really been blindsided by some Mm -hmm. of the the, some of the things that happened and even if you know it wasn't something that triggered me i was definitely like oh would have loved to have known about this so that I could you know mm-hmm. prepare myself beforehand yeah. so I'm I'm definitely all for it like 100 percent. yeah anybody else have any thoughts on trigger warnings love them hate them it's okay if you don't like them I know <laughs> I know lots of authors worry that they spoil the story a lot um but we've started adding them to our YAs just okay um I think it's more important there there's more likelihood of there being something triggering in a YA, I think, yeah. than a typical historical or contemporary romance, especially ours, which are what's considered um, clean. There's no cheating, right? You know, mm-hmm. things like that mm-hmm. in, in them. If there is something that we feel is emotionally um, strong enough in the book to warrant a trigger warning, we'll add one to our adult books as well. But not as a common rule because there's so many things that could be triggering that after a while you're just listing so you know if everything's everything minor is going to be included there'll be so many things that are listed that sometimes i do agree it can be a spoiler but if there's something like abuse or neglect or um cheating if there were in one of our books or something like that then yes we would definitely mention it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I, you know, I think it's a little bit of a fine line and um, I know going into certain romances that I tend to stay away from cheating, uh, but I'm very careful to read like the blurb if I think that there's a chance. Um, but I do like some darker romances and so I'm prepared going into those, um, especially if, and I'm okay if the author just puts, you know, might have sensitive subjects. Mm -hmm. you know, for some readers, I think those are okay. Um, I just know that there are lots of people that want more and more. I'm not one of them, but I ask the questions. That's what I do. (laughs) Well, like you said, there, there is a fine line. I feel, you know, and I also think it depends on how deep and, you know, how, what would you say, like 
strong the warning should be, you know, depending on the topic, you know, there, although it, uh, any trigger could, like we talked about earlier, could set off anybody, but there are some that are, I think, a lot more, um, I don't, I don't even know how well, to priority. say priority. Well, like yeah, a little bit you know, more priority to those, right, you know. Right, right. And, I also, you know, I just think that you have, you know, it's a lot of times the author ultimately makes the decision as to what, you know, if they decide to put the trigger and we can guide them in that, what we feel is best, but it's really ultimately their choice. So. Yeah. Just throw out as a reader, like spoilers don't actually bother me all that much. Like for me, if I'm invested in the story, yeah what happens isn't a spoiler it's how it happens so mm -hmm. I think some of like the risk reward on trigger warnings like a spoiler is a fairly minor risk a trigger is a much bigger risk so I think I gravitate toward yeah having them and allow like you said like being able to prepare even if you choose to read it uh, knowing that that's going to happen and having that choice I think it's important yeah I think um to Liz's point it is I'm sort of, I don't have a really strong feeling one way or the other. I'm sort of watching this from the outside, you know, for my own books. But um, I think to Liz's point, it is sometimes difficult to know what to include because if something doesn't happen on page, but it's part of the character's backstory, then sometimes you don't even really think of it in, you know, as a trigger warning. And for me, I actually had um, a review on one of my books list a trigger warning for divorce which didn't happen on page, but the character had been divorced prior to the story starting. It did not occur to me at all to include that. Like I thought, are there any things that I should put trigger warnings about? And that wasn't something that even popped into my head. Well, I'll also Obviously say it was for that, someone else. that like trigger warning and content warning are also you know, they can like overlap. And so I think that like, it's possible that that person was like, I didn't read, I, you know, I didn't read the review. So totally correct me if I'm wrong. But if they were like, there is content about divorce rather than like, sometimes it's not a trigger. Sometimes it's not something that is going to like give someone a panic attack, mm -hmm. but it, it, you know, it's something that they're just like, I don't want to read about a character who's divorced because it's a sensitive thing for me. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not, I guess, <sighs> I, I totally understand that like as, as an author, as a publisher and editor, like it, it doesn't always feel like it's not always productive to try to like fine tooth comb every, you know, small little thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like, that's like very fair. I also think that the majority of people who are asking uh, for these types of things do tend to be asking for larger like tell us if there's talk of a sexual assault tell us if there's talk of mm -hmm. child abuse domestic violence I think uh, of course there are people out there who you know want to say like I want to know if there's divorce but I also think that that's what reviews for I think mm -hmm. a lot of reviewers these days are are kind of doing that like fine tooth excuse me fine tooth comb work um which is like, great. Like, you know, that's what reviews are for. They're for readers. So I think, yeah, there's definitely like a symbiotic relationship with reviewers who are doing more of that work and authors who can be like, hey, you know, there's talk of domestic violence in here. And 
there you go. And then yeah. a reviewer can be like, there's also a character who's divorced and, you know, yeah. other small, smaller things. Agreed. Smaller, we also put some things just in the blurb. So it's out there. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I feel like that has a less of an impact too, because if, like, for instance, back in the verbs by Tracy Wolf and Avery Flynn, the heroine in it, in it is going through this brutal divorce. Um, and anyone who's been through a brutal divorce, the last thing you want to do is read about someone going through their a brutal divorce. However, it's handled in such a humorous way that it actually gives you power, it empowers the reader. So to put it as a trigger that this there's a brutal divorce in this book actually kind of creates this expectation that it's going to bring you down when actually it lifts you up, believe it or not. So instead of putting it in a trigger warning, which we discussed, we decided to just put it in the blurb. 35-year-old mm -hmm. Mallory blah, 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 blah is going through a brutal divorce. divorce. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah right? and I like when, you know, I know lots of reviewers and readers that don't really like pregnancy in their books. So when an author puts it in their um, in their blurbs, even if it's not something that doesn't happen until more than halfway through the book, it it's easy then for a reader to look at that and say, oh, they mention a baby. That's not really for me. Um, I'll come back to that when I'm ready. And it didn't ruin the story in any way. I've had come across a couple of these in the last couple of weeks. It didn't ruin the story in any way. It, you know, you just knew it was going to be there. Um, right. And I think that that helps. I think that that just helps kind of, you know, which line am I going to stand in kind of situation? Right. Well, in that so, same book, there are gaslighting parents. And we discussed, <laughs> should we put that in? Because that could be triggering, right? <laughs> And right. in the end, we're like, you know what? I think we all need this book. Whereas a trigger might have actually encouraged somebody not to read that book because it was triggering for them. It, so it's also not just that the subject matter's in there, I think. It's also how it's handled. Is yeah. it something that's confrontational or going to be triggering? I mean, that's the, the whole reason for the warning, trigger warning, right? It's just going right. to trigger you or... It's going to be a subject matter that's dealt with in a way that actually kind of gives you a new perspective and peace because it can do that as well. Um, can be yeah. cathartic, the same topic that you normally would avoid. So, you know, we have to, we evaluate those things and we hire sensitivity readers to help us too. Yeah. And I'm also very glad that I don't have to make those decisions and I just read the books. So. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's just for me. Um, okay. So, in the recent years, we've seen obviously a huge uptick in indie publishing and a little bit of a downtick in traditional publishing. But I recently read where the uh, publishers are kind of, they've streamlined things and they're coming back. So mass production, mass publishing seems to be on an upswing. And we heard that a little bit from Liz that she, you know, things were going well for Entangled. Um but what are the thoughts there? Do we think that indie is still going to be this, you know, I did, I couldn't find specific numbers like, you know, indie publishing is 40% of the market and traditional publish is, you know, 70% of the market. I didn't, I couldn't find those numbers. Nobody has those. So that I can find, <laughs> but I don't know what so what are, are either, but I read an article recently it was last week that said that, um, publishing sales had climbed to a point that they hadn't seen in hundred years in traditional publishing. Yeah. Was that the article in the New Yorker? Cause yes. I did read, I felt, yes. So I did read that article cause I was hoping they'd have numbers for me. And they <laughs> <didn't>. <laughs> yeah. So. I always 
wonder I think that like romance as a genre is always going to have such a strong indie self-pub backbone mm-hmm. um I just because I think there's just so many things that you can do like can do as an indie as self-pub that trad pub just isn't gonna take the risk on um just even whether we're talking about like those really quiet romances or like you know those dark romances or just new adult (laughs) as a a Mm subgenre in general um so I don't know what the I'm always very interested to see the numbers about like self-pub v trad pub because I and I you know I because I kind of view romance as a part in some ways from the overall narrative, just because, I mean, I feel like, I would say like uh, 60% of the books I read are self-pub indie. Uh, and I mostly read romance, like not only, but mostly. Um, oh, I, and I, I think- only read romance. <laughs> and women's fiction, some women's fiction, yes. but 90% is going to be romance. That's fair. I'll do, I, I enjoy a good, like, you know, kind of pretentious lit fic every now and then. Um, but yeah, so I, yeah, I'm definitely always kind of like, I, I don't think that indie is going anywhere in the romance community which is fantastic i agree with that i think it's reached kind of a stasis i don't know what the number the numbers might fluctuate over the years but i think uh indie publishing has established itself as a really viable route that's the better option for certain authors and Mm -hmm. traditional is a better option for other authors they're just two different paths and sometimes hybrid is best and i think it's just it's an option that's there and i don't think it's gonna go anywhere you know unless amazon goes bankrupt i guess you know (laughs) doesn't seem like it's gonna happen anytime soon (laughs) I I think um what Jody said too about romance having to be looked at separately I think just anecdotally like if you're part of any of the writing communities on Twitter and you you see just talk about self-published authors and their sales romance authors that are self-pubbed are blowing these people away in other genres and that's just the market. And I, I, like you said, it's not going anywhere because if we're selling, you know, 10 times more than that <laughs> with some other people that are self-pubbing pubbing a sci-fi or a lit fic and, you know, they're like struggling to get a few sales where romance authors don't have that problem. And it, we'd have to take that data separately because you can't just compare self-pub to traditional yeah. across the market. Yeah, I used to know those stats, and it, yeah, the romance self-published sales were like five hundred percent of what yeah. other. Yeah, especially like that. in those early days, right? In like twenty thirteen, they were. I know so many like um, Kit Roja, who they like made their careers with those early mm-hmm. ebook like indie sales. I know so many authors who, especially like marginalized authors, who were like, "This is." This is my avenue to like not only write and get published, but make an actual career out of it where I can, you know, support myself and my family. So I've always loved that. That's what it my is- movie's about. You should all watch it. Yes, I'm for sure going to. <laughs> watch Austin's movie. It's very good. It was, um, we did a whole episode on it. You can also listen to our episode all about uh, Ooh, Naughty okay. Book Stack. Um, so, uh, 
Now, what about you guys, Jennifer? Are the majority of your authors that are with Wildfire, are they indie authors? Yeah, most of them are indie authors. We have a couple of hybrid authors, um, but I would say, you know, a good amount of them are indie authors. And I really think it depends, you know, what the author's goals are. I mean, you know, there's some indie is perfect for some authors, you know, and then there's other authors, there's pros and cons for both. I think that, you know, traditional is great for some people. I think it's also a longer process. Um, so, you oh, know, yeah. if somebody, right? So, <laughs> you know, when you think about in the long run where for somebody that's looking, you know, maybe for an income, I don't know if you'd say faster because you don't know exactly how every book is going to sell. But, you know, if you're looking for something where you, you want something sooner or you don't want to wait to publish, wait for a traditioning, traditional publishing deal, you know, I think indie is, would be a, a perfect fit for somebody who, who'd love to just get it out there, you know, yeah. and, and it works, like I said, it works really well for some people. And, you know, even some, you've seen so many authors who's even started out as indie and then eventually go the traditional route. And then you even see traditionally published authors who have flipped and, you know, went back to being hybrid. So, yeah. Do you think that we're going to see in the future more of the hybrid type author more that is, you know, maybe started indie and then one or two books come throughout, uh, come through a label. I know that we've seen that. Um, I know several authors that kind of have a mix bag, you know, yeah. some of their books are. I think so. I think especially if the opportunity is there, I mean, you know, they're not good. You know, if you're an indie published author and you've always hoped to do something in the traditional market, you know, and, and the opportunity is there for them, you know, I, I would think that they would obviously love the opportunity for that. So I really do think there is, that's not something that's going to go away, yeah. you know, um, and, and, and I then have, you have heard, some. There are some authors though that will like keep a name for indie publishing, and then they have a different pen name yep. for their traditional. Is that kind of, is that what uh, most people do, or most people try to keep it under the same name? I think it'd get confusing. I can't remember my children's names, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... I've heard I've heard of a couple of authors who did that, and then I've actually can think of two that uh a few actually that did that and then finally said you know i i can't do two names anymore and they <laughs> decided to just stick with the one name um you know it's 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 a lot think of how much work an author has to do that i read a post last week that said um and i think it was it was somebody um posting and then people commenting that they thought it was crazy but they said oh being an author is so easy you just write the book and then you just make a lot of money you know <laughs> and I sit here and I see how much work the, the clients that I work with you know put into it's not easy it's not you know you might get lucky and do really well and um and and that's great but 
it, it does take a lot of time and effort and reaching out to people, making the right contacts, you know, your marketing strategy, your ads, your, you know, your cover, your blurb, your reaching, you know, especially in the indie community, you know, making, establishing those relationships. So um, I, I don't know that I, if it was me personally, I could never have two names. Oh, I know who have you know. two names. It's less about indie versus traditional versus like two very different types mm -hmm. of romance. Like they have a dark romance that, name. Yes. Like contemporary. Exactly. Romance. Right, um, right. Which makes sense so, to me to have those yeah, as separate brands. I agree with you. I do. Well, a lot of times you need the second name because when you sign a contract with a traditional publisher, not us, but other publishers, you have a non-compete window. Right. So it's the only that way too. you can release a lot of books in a year. Is if yep. your self-pub name is different than the name that you've contracted oh, okay. with this non-compete window. Right. Like it's let's say you signed with Mont Lake, they may not let you publish another book three months before or three months after. That's six months in yeah. a year with only one book. I'm not saying that's what their contract is, but as an example. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I never thought about that. I always think that anybody who is going to be an author, and I think that this is in traditional publish or not, it's a business. So not mm -hmm. only are you like the creative head of the business, but you mm -hmm. also have to help establish marketing strategies and your brand and, you know, how you're going to do things and promote. And it's just like, I just keep thinking, oh, that's a lot. I'm mm -hmm. just going to sit over here and format your books for you and make them look pretty. <laughs> It's so much. And like, so as someone, Lo and I are really good friends. Obviously we've both. So I have, I currently have uh, three books out. I almost forgot. <laughs> um, two of those are with like a small indie press. One of them is self-pub. My self-pub book was a novella. I love it to death. But I was also like, oh my God. <laughs> like it's having to like do all the, it's it is so much work mm -hmm. and I am more of a I think uh, my plan is to be hybrid um but I I love the the like with my publisher now having so much of that stuff not having to think too much about or like being able to obsess about it because you're gonna <laughs> obsess about right. what, what does my cover look like and like what am I gonna but also kind of ultimately knowing that the decisions for those things are not ultimately up to me <laughs> are very comforting. Yeah. But there are also books that I have, you know, on my heart that I'm like, no, I want every single little bit of creative control for this thing, whatever weird thing my brain comes up with that somebody's like I'm, I don't want to buy that that's weird I don't, <laughs> we don't get that. Uh, um, which I respect trust me um, but so yeah I mean it's definitely a, it's definitely been like a trade-up for me of like relinquishing control and understanding like when and how I want to do that um, but I'll say that like when it comes to perks, that is one of the major ones for me when it comes to trad pub. I Just hear like, lots of authors that say it was the, the cover. That's what sold them <laughs> on being traditionally published <laughs> is that they didn't have to worry about cover art anymore. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, I, mean, I think yeah. it, it is a, a ridiculous amount of work um, to, <laughs> to self pub your books. It's a, <laughs> 
I mean, it's all of the work, all of the work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and that's great. And I think when you're talking, I, I don't want to jump ahead because I know you're going to talk about um, self-pub versus traditionally pubs. But I think when you're making that decision, there's a couple different things that go into it. And, and some people look at that work and think, I am a creative. I am not a business person. I don't know how to do that. I don't want to do that. I know plenty of people who are just brilliant writers and you ask them to write a blurb for the back cover of their book and they're like, I cannot do that. I cannot do that. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> or, you know, you'll talk about what's your marketing plan and they're like, I don't want to talk about that. I don't understand it. I don't want to do it. <laughs> and for me, I really love that part of it. It's, um, I have a background in marketing. I haven't, I have a kid that's 10 and I haven't worked since he was born, but I mean, I haven't worked outside of the house since he was born, but I used to do marketing. So like that type of thing, it never went away for me. I get it. And I, I, I can switch my brain yeah. from one to the other. And I completely understand how some people cannot do that. It makes complete sense. It's two different specialties. And if you can't walk that line of, you know, which hat am I wearing today? It's very hard to be successful. And it's not, you know, it's not a lack of work ethic. It's a, it's a lack of what are your strengths and do you have the strength to do all of the business side of it as well as the creative side? And do you have the time? Because whenever you're doing the business side, you're not writing. And mm -hmm. so there's that. Um, but as far as hybrid goes, I wanted to say too, I think it's not always, um, I know some people that are self-published authors that are like, I'm only gonna be a self-published author. I want, this is what I want. This is the career path I want. And then there are some people that only wanna go traditional. And I think some, some of the decision um, for going hybrid isn't necessarily your brand or your career path, but it's book to book because like, Jody said, there's some books that you want to write that you want complete control over creatively, and you're not willing to budge on any of it. And then, you know, you have this option, you can do that if you want to put in the work. But then there are other books where you're like, you know what, this one, the hook is really big, and I want more reach than me personally, in my living room, working 50 hours a week <laughs> can get that book because no matter how much work I put in, I can't put that book on a shelf at Target. So, right. you know, there's sometimes it's just book to book. Sometimes it's like, I want to write this quiet romance. That's not super hooky, but it's this like love story that's in my heart and I want to write it and I want to, I want people to read it. And then other times it's like, oh, I have this idea and I can like envision it on TV and I can envision it like in a movie or, you know, it's hooky, it's big, it's marketable. And so you want to go in a different direction for that particular book. So I think there's all different ways that you can go about it. And there's some people that are very set on one for a multitude of reasons. And there are some people that want to explore both for a multitude of reasons. Yeah. I like them both. So, you know, <laughs> Right. I mean, picky. exactly. Like you have, as a reader, I'm I not mean, picky. Yeah. That's what I was as, as also a reader that just means I have just so many options. Right. So it's right. sort of win-win like, <laughs> yep. And a lot of times you can't tell unless you look, you know, sometimes you'll pick up a book and the covers are so good. I mean, some people really are, are doing real good work on, you know, yeah. on the self-pub side, their covers look just as good. They're 
formatting is great. You know, there's they're edited. There, there's just a lot of times the average reader can't pick up a self-pub book and say, I, would I can pick up a traditional sure. book though, and and because I think of the nature of my job, I pick up a you know a traditionally published book. Um, it was actually a YA book my daughter wanted to read, and I was looking through it, and it had terrible line breaks. Like whoever did the formatting on that, you know, didn't do their final view through because like words were cut in weird places and sentences, and I was like, who who published this? And then I looked, and I'm like what this isn't you know someone should be fired (laughs) um but you know it's just I think like you said you can the quality can be there just as good for a indie published as a traditional published um so one of the things that we saw huge in 2020 were authors opening up their worlds for people to come in and write stories so we had um uh Vi Keeland and Penelope Ward opened up their Cocky Hero Club. We had Serena Bowen. She opened her True North World, which is I just starting to trickle out now. Um, Aurora Rose Reynolds. She has her Happily Ever Alpha group coming. And then she created her own publishing label with it, too. She has Boom Factory publication that she created to handle those um, books. Do you think this is going to continue to be a growing trend? I've heard some people say that they don't think the Cocky Hero Club books are as good as when they first came out and pretty much if you write them a proposal, you get to write a book. Um, I, I haven't decided how I feel. I've read some samplings of, from all of them. I haven't decided how I feel about the open worlds, but anybody this have any thoughts? thing that Amazon did. Am I wrong? They called it no, like Kindle true. worlds or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't, I don't like think that. they yeah. have that. I don't think Kindle worlds are available anymore. Yeah, I think they stopped so then- it. Yeah, and then now they have these. Um, um the, yeah. The cocky hero cool. club. <laughs> yeah, like, I think it's cool. I think it's like it's definitely very cool to me. As someone who really likes like the business side of self publishing and seeing how that works, like I just think it's awesome. So uh, mm-hmm. I don't really have an opinion on the quality. I haven't read enough of them yet, but I just think it's cool that it's happening. So I'm I'm for yeah. it. I hope it continues. Um just to see what I happens. think it would I think it would be a very personal decision to decide to open up your world like that um, (laughs) because, you know, the world that you've created is so, I mean, maybe it's, I don't think it's just me, but I'm like really super picky about it and super like, you know, it's mine. So I, I feel like it would be hard. It would be a a personal decision for sure. Like, am I going to make a ton of money off of this or Mm -hmm. am I going to like sacrifice some of the characters that I love so much? Um, I know that Serena Bowen, she, like, her team is, like, fine tooth combing through the applicants and through the manuscripts, and she is Mm -hmm. super picky, and she has put her worlds, it's all of True North, but she has very specific genre, like, her Moo Yu, which is her hockey romances, you know, can be this, she has Vines and Vino, which is her LGBTQ plus world um and then there's a coffee house one and there's a fourth one that i can't think of yet but oh so um, that's interesting because i hearing it i was i kind of automatically just thought like yeah go ahead and publish whatever but it's like they're like you have to effectively like like query us with your manuscript in my world 
Oh, okay. And so did they, do the original authors, they take a cut? Yeah, I don't, I'm assuming, yes, I don't know the business side of it. Right? <laughs> um, I, I have, I have betaed and done some formatting work for Cocky Hero. Um, and I know that my payment comes through Cocky Hero. That's how I mm-hmm. get paid. Um, but I don't know, um, I have one coming up for Serena's world. I don't, I am assuming that it'll be her true North world is what will right. pay me. Um, but they have to, I mean, it's a, it's not an easy process. You have to submit your full idea. What world like for, for uh, Penelope and them for Kaki hero, you have to submit like which book you're spinning off of. Cause it's like six different books that are in play. So you have to put your idea of what's your idea what book you're spinning off of from there and then you submit your proposal and they kind of give you oh, some deadlines wow. and they're like little mm-hmm. presses i mean yeah, yeah yeah i mean that's that's really comforting i mean to to see that the authors are very clearly like painstakingly trying to protect their brands <laughs> yeah. yeah um that's that's really great um, but it is, it is like you said, it's like, they're definitely, this is like, for sure, like small press type yeah. things. I wonder- well, and there's a lot of them. Uh, Cause Kay Brumberg, she opened two of her worlds, her driven and her everyday hero. Um, I can't think of who else has some. Yeah, Kristen think- Proby, who's one of the subjects in her film, she did Lady Boss Press and she opened up, I think four of her worlds. So like wow. with me in Seattle and Bordeaux mm-hmm. and I think two others. Um, didn't yeah. Penny Reed do that too? I, uh, yeah. I almost feel like she did it first. With her smarty Maybe pants. Yeah, yes. her smarty mm-hmm. pants romance. Yep. I just think it's an interesting trend. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm kind of a control freak, kind of like you, Lauren. <laughs> I want to protect my tiny little piece. <laughs> and I don't yeah. know if, you know. I yeah, think I there'd be ways to do it. it. Yeah, I think there'd be <laughs> ways to do it, though. Like, I don't know that I'd want someone else writing my characters, but... You know, if you create like, I don't know, a lot of, you know, if it's a a workplace type of series, you know, maybe you open up that workplace and maybe my character can have a cameo, but please don't write him. (laughs) (laughs) He's more than 10 words. (laughs) I'll write his dialogue and what he's writing. (laughs) He can have these like sentences outside of that. No. Yeah. <laughs> I'll submit a list you can choose from. You can say one of these. <laughs> well, and, the, and then we're also seeing some compilations from some authors. Um, there's this Cherry Falls world. And I think, Jennifer, you guys have a couple of authors that are writing in Cherry Falls. Um, I think Mika Jolie has one coming out that's yes. part of that. Mm-hmm. And um, I also have Charity Farrell. She's writing um, Second Chance Sweetheart. And that's in a like a sweetheart collection, um, you know. So it's definitely it's it's they're having a lot of fun with it, you know, trying something new and bringing their own spin into things. And just one thing I just wanted to add about the worlds that I did notice, and this is even just as a reader, um, you know, it did open some doors to some newer writers that maybe you know, gave them like a great intro into the indie market where they, you know, submitted something that they wanted to write. And, you know, it just was another possible door open for them to to do something like this, which is great, you know? Um, So yeah, I I thought that was really cool. 
It, like I, there are authors that I wouldn't have read that have been part of Cocky Hero that I'm like, oh, I read this book, I liked this blurb, and now I have a new author, and yeah. my TBR list grew by twenty. Right. Every time. So I think it just makes right. great business sense. Yeah, yeah. personally, yeah. it reminds you already have me of a fan, fan base. Fiction. It's going to cost you less money to market to this mm-hmm. fan base for this extra series. Yeah, yeah. We'll rarely like choices. Um, we actually become a little flustered with too many choices. So it's very similar to an imprint. You know, like there's this famous story when Ford first built the first assembly line car, you could actually pick a lot of different varieties, color, trim, all sorts of things. And they didn't sell hardly any. And he was almost bankrupt. So he decided to trash them all and you got a black car. That was your only option. And he sold out of this black car. Right. Uh, It's the reason why publishers create imprints. It's buckets. Because buckets make variety more palatable and, and the choices easier to make. So if you're a self-pub author and you're looking for how can I grow this brand, well, the, the natural thing to do is to create a bucket out of your world and then put more things in your bucket. I yeah. agree. Yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. It's definitely like, here, you can create fan fiction of my... <laughs> It is. I love it is. As, it, as yeah. it is fan fiction. Writer and reader. That's the <laughs> ultimate. Like who? Who I'm like. Oh, I, we've truly like snuck our way. Thanks to like Christina Lauren and like we've truly <laughs> right? snuck our way into yeah. publishing. Thank right? you so much. Well, there uh, there are some self pub authors that I know um, really well who are acquiring other authors to write inside their their basically their own press like other voices and everything else and they're becoming mm-hmm. their own publishing house but it's wow. actually safer and less risk to open up your world and do it than yeah, it yeah. is to acquire these authors yeah 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 i do and you know that's a thing people it's interesting as i've done the podcast and uh done this a lot of people don't realize how many authors have come out of fan fiction um, yeah. you know, and the Wattpad stories and stuff like that. People are like, they came from where? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> did you? I mean, I do. Right <laughs> we were hiding in the dark for so, I think it's only, I mean, okay, I'm 26. I've been reading fan fiction since I was like far too young to be <laughs> doing that. Uh, but, but I mean, and so, you know, like 12, 12-ish, 11, 12. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't, I wouldn't tell anybody about it. Or, <laughs> it's I like mean, a big it, secret. <laughs> it was, you, it was not cool. It wasn't something mm-hmm. that, or even if it wasn't like, even if you were in circles where you weren't interested in being cool, it was outright like, <laughs> ew, you know? Um, but I think now it's, we're, we're finally kind of allowed to be like, yes. Yes. So yes, well, that's how Jody and I know each other. Yeah, I it mean, is. We wouldn't, oh, we yeah. wouldn't know each other. That's how. I, straight up we've known each other since yeah we've known each other since before we were romance authors yeah we were we were we were were are in a fan fiction writing group for the walking dead (laughs) and yeah this group chat and we became like great friends and lauren was like oh we need to i guess like some of us are kind of working on like original stuff we need to split off and i was like i i guess i kind of had this thing that i was working on I was like, okay, I'll join. Truly not. I was not. I was just like, I just want to be a part. I just want to see what they're saying in the other group chat. That I'm not in. 
so I'll say I'm working on this. Which again was about 5% about writing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's and it's still going to this day and it's about now 2%. <laughs> um, and yeah, so like without fan fiction, without like the communities that I built out of like reading and writing fan fiction and interacting with fandom, I truly, I can't, I don't know that I, I don't want to say that I wouldn't have ultimately ended up here, but probably wouldn't have been for 10 years, something like for that. For a while. Yeah. yeah so well, my you... path is it, like kind of correlates with being the director of this movie. Like my college thesis was on fan fiction and that's what I wrote about because I loved reading it. I didn't actually write it, but I was like, this is amazing. This community that it forms is amazing. Mm -hmm. And like, and then that's how I felt when I discovered like this boom of self-published romance. I was like, this is amazing. We have to tell the world about this. <laughs> For sure. With fan um, fiction, you're basically getting improving your craft, becoming more yeah. educated in your, mm -hmm. your craft, you're getting instant feedback, you're recognizing what's working, what's not working in your writing and you're tailoring it. So even if you hadn't gone through fan fiction and just written your first book, there's nothing to say that it would be as successful as it would be that you came out of fan fiction. Right, yeah. that's, I mean, that's very true. I definitely, I mean, I was on um, Shelf Love, another like romance podcast recently where we kind of, I mean, I talked about like starting with Twilight and like, you know, ultimately ending up here. But if I hadn't gone, you know, at 12 being like, I, I, okay, I want Edward and Bella to like, you know, be a little hornier. Yeah, I mean, without that, I don't know that I would have found romance because I, I don't come from like romance readers. I'm not like, you know, my mom had romances in her, under her bed that I read. Like my whole journey comes through fan fiction. I, I, you're totally right, Liz. Like learning how to write romantic tropes, learning how to like understand what romantic arcs are, all of that. Like Format crafting chapters. like a sentence mm -hmm. that is just yeah really impactful. Finding your own voice, yeah. um, which is very mm -hmm. hard for young writers. You know, they're always struggling. How do I find, what is my voice? What is my voice? Yeah. It's the same one you use every day. Right? That one. <laughs> That's the best one. <laughs> That's the best one. Actually, great advice. <laughs> yeah. Jody's like, I am now writing this like, down actually, right now. <laughs> because, I mean, I do still struggle to, like, fully understand. Like, I guess some people are like, oh, we love her voice. And I'm like, I don't know what that, I just, you know. What I don't know, but yeah. that's actually really great. You know, I sat on this panel like, like six years ago and there was like 10 of us on this panel, which are just terrible panels to be on, by the way, <laughs> where they pass the microphone and everybody answers the same question, right? And I was ninth in this seating <laughs> arrangement. And the person in the audience asked, if you could only give one piece of advice that would change my world, what would it be? My career. And by the time it got to me, like everything had been said. And then I gave this piece of advice just on the fly. And to this day, I still think it's the best piece of advice I could ever give a writer. And it is this, if you, when you write your book, you should write it as though you were telling a story of something that happened to your best friend. Like if you were gonna, or your significant other or anything else at the end of the day, you know, you've got like 10 minutes before they reach for the remote. So you don't start with how you woke up, what you ate for breakfast, what you were wearing, what the weather was. You start with the hook. You're not gonna yeah. believe what happened at work today. And then you start to tell a little bit of story. And as they start to reach for the remote, you end it with another hook. And then so-and-so walked in. 
you plant little seeds too. Like we went down at the conference room, the one with all the glass on that one wall. Remember that? That's going to be important later, but don't worry about it now. Like, and then you keep going, like just mm -hmm. use your natural storytelling and then yeah. evaluate your own book by looking at it and saying, is this how I would tell the story to my best friend? Ah, I definitely wouldn't start with this or that. And I think you get that feedback in fan fiction more than anywhere else. Because it's very yeah. small pieces, it's very fast response times, and you know exactly where you got them. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm just telling a story to my friends with fan fiction. I don't have to worry about being a quote unquote writer. Yeah. You know? So that's very true. The stakes are, I mean, they're, they're, they're emotionally very high because you're, if you're writing fan fiction, you're, you're very invested. <laughs> <laughs> mm hmm. But um, yeah, the, the, I think I, it, I agree. It is a really fantastic like learning environment. Like that feedback is like, it's incomparable. It's fantastic. Yeah, I agree. It's, um, so we kind of touched about our own voices and talking in our own voices. And that is something that we're hearing a lot in the publishing industry is making sure that we're being representative of everybody and that we're all speaking in our own voices. And one of my hot button issues, um, personally, is I'm really getting frustrated with middle-aged women writing male-male romances. Um, I have so many thoughts on this. And then also the lack of lesbian mainstream romance. Um, but we're seeing so much male-male. And I really wish people would stop. My very best friend in the entire world. He is gay. He is my daughter's gunkle. He, like, t calls himself the gunkle. And I recently, we did a review episode on a male-male romance, and I was like, hey, David, would you like to read this for me and just tell me what you think? And he read like a couple chapters. He's like, really? And I think he wanted to throw the book in my head. I really <laughs> did. Um, but own voice, you know, uh, Jody, you're a woman of color. It, you know, it's important that your voice is being told in your voice. And we talked about this with uh, Amelie Howard also, you know, making sure that we're being, you know, representative of everybody yeah. and their words. So anybody have I mean, any thoughts about own voice? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I'll just say, first of all, as a queer, as a queer woman, it is, I want more lesbians. I want more yes. queer women in <laughs> romances uh, till the end of time, especially like black ones, women of color, like trans girls, I want it all. Um, I do think we do, um, well, we need to make more space for like, uh, like trans men to tell like queer MM stories for obviously for just like even cis gay men to like tell their stories as well. I think that we, Branding romance, I understand where people are coming from, where they say romance is a genre for women by women. I disagree because uh, it should be more than that. <laughs> like it's 2020, everyone deserves romance. And that means mm -hmm. that like, when we say that, oftentimes those of us who are saying that are not realizing that like we're pushing people to the fringes, people who are marginalized, who very desperately like deserve to just be able to read about themselves falling in love, being loved like respectfully, genuinely, accurately, but also write it as well. 
So yeah, I mean, everybody deserves the happily ever after. Yeah, it's just, everybody. it's who you love. Mm-hmm. And I just, yeah. Anyway, I have so many thoughts on this. I'm sure it could be its own episode. <laughs> well, I have Anybody one else? thought that's kind of controversial, which is I, I'm one of the people who's in the middle of the road on own voices. I don't think anyone should tell another person what art they can and can't create. I think anyone should be able to write anything. However, having said that, should we be giving um, these very limited publishing spots to people telling own voices stories versus a woman writing a male male story, for instance, probably more than likely. But then I think of um, the author of Love, Simon, and I thought that book was beautiful and amazing and wonderful. So nobody knows where creativity comes from, God or the universe or right. what. Sometimes it just happens. And it's a beautiful story that comes from somebody who isn't telling their own story, but they have the yeah. story inside them to tell. And I think it's up to readers to be able to tell authors, self-published authors and publishers what works and what doesn't work. Now, from a publisher standpoint, I have a responsibility to make sure that I am creating as many opportunities as I can to increase inclusivity of our author base. That's something very different than the stories that are being told. But I read this article recently, um, gosh, Neil Patrick Harris was being interviewed, a whole bunch of actors were being interviewed. And the story was, if you were a gay man should, if you have a role for a gay man, should only an actual gay man play that role? And Neil Patrick Harris is like, well, I think it should go to a gay man first, but at the same time, I don't want to just play gay men for the rest of my life. I want to play a lot of different roles. And I think I can research and embody that straight man role. And in fact, I did it very well in these different series that he was in. And I feel like that is a little bit more of a mature response for how are we going to take the kind of content that we're creating and make sure it's inclusive and representative, but also not also creating an, an environment where an author who is, does have a great story to tell can't tell that story. Whether it's a, a black author who wants to tell a story of two white characters even. Like, you know, I just think it, it's two different things if I'm making making my yeah, point no. at all remotely well. <laughs> it's one is there's been uh, uh, just, uh, an absolute marginalization by publishers in in finding uh, diverse voices and bringing them to light. Just that's just mm-hmm. hands down whole other conversation. But then, yeah. as far as to your point about women writing male male romance, you thought it wasn't handled well. Well, that's that's where reviews come in and lack of sales, and maybe that's what prevents that writer yeah. from writing more. Yeah, and then I took a beating. <laughs> In the, <laughs> by other reviewers and um, for voicing my thoughts on on the male male and why I didn't think it was. Well, worked. I'm not saying I disagree with you. I'm just being <laughs> devil's advocate. No, here. and it's fair. Yeah. And and I, right. I'm fine. I got big shoulders. I can take the beating. Bring it to me. Because well, at the end of the... My daughter is gay and she will tell you hands down she thinks <laughs> mainly gay writers should be writing gay romance because sapphic romance is just something that that she feels very strongly should be handled very sensitively and by somebody who's in that community and everything else which is her right to voice that opinion and then I countered with well what about um another book that is not written by a sapphic person that you love that book and she's like well I did like that one but most of the time (laughs) I don't like them and I was like yeah well that's where it takes you know 
I mean, I think publishers, uh, myself included, have not done the best job always of making sure that if a person is not writing an own voices story or ha has a character, think about it this way, it doesn't have to be the main characters, it could be side characters that are that are not their own, mm -hmm. making sure that we're getting those sensitivity reads and we're, we're really making sure everyone is representative and inclusive and has a fair um, representation in the book. Um, I think we focus too much on the main characters, but the side characters are equally important. And oftentimes marginalization can happen with the side characters even more than with the main characters. I mean, mm -hmm. that's where the stereotypes pop in, right? That yeah. are just just terrible to continue. Um, and we really need to take another look at, so. Yeah. That's my uh, two cents. We don't often think about the side characters, but yeah, we do. I can think of like several books right here in my head now that the side character was so stereotypical that it almost made it uncomfortable. Oh, I'm editing a book right now. And the side character is this gay male. And I was telling the author, I'm like, he's over the top. What is this? This is craziness going on right now. And she's like, oh, but he changes his appearance in all the books. And I'm like, well, nobody's going to know what you have planned. They only know what they read in this book. And this is just, just such a caricature of what a gay man, typical gay man or this gay man would, would be like, it was just like over the top. Um, and yeah. then I immediately went to our editorial director and I said, I think I've edited it well, but bring it, we need to make sure we have a sensitivity read, not for the main characters, although we do have one for that, but now for the side characters mm -hmm. that I want to make sure I handled adequately um, yeah. and fairly. So, you know. Yeah. Um. Okay, so, and we're getting close to our hour, so I want to make sure. The one thing I really wanted to say is uh, the Bridgington effect. Do we think there's going to be an uptick in historical romances, um, more novels being turned into series like this? Um, I read somewhere that we're now at like 52 million homes have streamed at least two minutes crazy. of the Bridgingtons. Um, you know, Outlander was kind of quiet. I have thoughts on Outlander. That's another episode. Um, we've seen Handmaid's Tale, Game of Thrones. There's so many thoughts, Becky. I love it. I have so <laughs> many. I used to think I was opinionated, but now I see I'm not. No. <laughs> Most of these people here can tell you, yeah, Becky's got lots of opinions, <laughs> particularly about romance. I, you know, I've been reading since I was 14. I come to it. Um, my mother was an avid romance reader. She and Jude Devereaux went to college together and were sorority sisters. And wow. so at age 14, I started stealing Jude Devereaux romance novels wow. from my mother. And I, uh, she's the nicest lady too. Sweetest, <laughs> nicest lady. Um, and so I have always quietly read romances. Like I didn't really ever talk about it. And then as I got older and more vocal, I thought someone would say, oh, what you're reading because you're such an avid reader. And I'd be like, oh, I'm reading this romance. Really? Why? Because it's good. I mean, mm -hmm. this is why they're in the, you know, on Target shelves. This is why they're at Walmart because people buy the books. And um, people love to pretend to hate happiness. It's kind right. Of all we'll say about that. True. Yeah. And <laughs> I often talk about like I think part of Fifty Shades of Grey's success was it came out as more and more people were going to iPads and e-readers to read and nobody could see the cover of what you were reading. Um, and, you know, there are books that I read, lots of books that I read that I'm kind of glad no one sees the cover because they're naughty, but I love them. But I also want to be vocal about that they're naughty and I love them. Mm -hmm. um, so... 
So yeah. So it's... Yes to both of your questions. I think, <laughs> yes, there's going to be a rise in historical. And yes, I think there's going to be more big budget, high production value I agree. adaptations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have friends who watched it who are not romance fans and they were like, wait, what? <laughs> this is like Jane Austen meets Gossip Girl and I was like well welcome to the world of Regency romance people <laughs> um, and they're really into it and I think having someone like Shonda Rhimes' names on that allowed people to be like oh I like this and it, you didn't have to be embarrassed there are air quotes there for listeners um to <laughs> to say that you liked it um yeah. yeah. See, I actually think Hollywood's gonna not jump on this bandwagon. Let's, I agree. Let's, let's take a bet. Let's see who's right. I yeah. agree. I, I think agree this is because Bridgerton was a huge success, and yet you forget the five other big historicals that were high budgets that released last year that flopped. Um, what's the but one with the girl from um, the be... Queen's Gambit? Um, Emma. I think it's called Emma something, right? Oh, that was, yeah, there was Emma. She redid Emma by uh, Jane Austen. Yes. And there was, um, oh, goodness. Yes. Um, yeah, they're very I don't necessarily think they're all going to adapt historicals because that is a very high budget. Like, you have to put a lot of money into that. Oh, but yeah. I think they are going to see. I mean, they've done Virgin River for two seasons. They've done, uh, what's that one? The Magnolias one oh, that, that did pretty Magnolias. well for them. Um, so they might not all be. We at the immediately level. took Amelie Howard's book out. I mean, like I said before, uh, Oprah Magazine picked it as one of the five or 10 best historicals of all time. So you really don't get a much higher accolade than that. And we took that out. We, we do have interest from one, but the majority, 99% of production companies said we wouldn't touch historical with a 10-foot pole. And I said, yeah, but what about the Bridgerton? She's like, yeah, everything Shonda touches is, turns to gold. That's Shonda Rhimes. Nobody else is doing it. Um, so I, I'll be curious to see if that actually happens, if we, if we see more. I would love it. I, I love the Bridgertons. I inhaled it in, in one day. <laughs> Um, I thought mm-hmm. it was fantastic. Um, I would love to see more of them, but I don't actually think it's going to happen. I think there's too many failures. I um, and us- what do you think? Go ahead, Jody. What do you think? Oh, well, I'm not a, I'll preface this by saying that, like, I have not watched the Bridgertons. I also haven't read uh, any of them. I'm not a, I haven't either. <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a Regency. I'm not a, I don't tend to be like a historical, but definitely not Regency. I just have such a hard time with him. Like, I mean, shout out to like Tessa Dare. I, I mean, you know, love them. Sarah McLean, like shout out to them. They're fantastic. But I was speaking of shelf love. We, we, she asked me this question and we kind of, I mean, if we're talking about like playing the devil's advocate, we were kind of talking about like who was Bridgerton's the show made for we were trying to see is it going to bring people into romance and i think like realistically yeah it'll bring some people you know some people are going to do like i did with twilight where they started with a piece of media got obsessed with it and ultimately trickle in i don't i don't necessarily agree that it's going to like bring it's going to amass a a yeah to romance Mm -hmm. because i don't think that this show was made for romance readers I think this was made for you know people who are not and I think that like everybody enjoys romance to some degree it's in like so I mean there's a reason it's in 
every you can't watch an action movie without there being a romance subplot mm-hmm. that's like unnecessary <laughs> like every tv show so everyone is kind of always consuming romance i understand that british is actually is and not just you know shoehorned bad subplot yeah. but i don't know i mean certainly it would be very i would enjoy being like proved wrong if somehow we do see like oh i would love to be this flood i mean Mm -hmm. yeah this flood but i i i don't see it happening just because i would like to like come back to bridgerton in three four six months and see if people are still talking about it about it we look at a discovery of witches when that aired it yeah. actually broke all streaming records and yeah. stream was down was streamed more than The Walking Dead. It broke The Walking Dead streaming, um, and everybody predicted that there were going to be tons more of paranormal coming to TV and film because of it. Yeah. And in fact, they shut down productions. I mean, originals and wow. Vampire Diaries. Yeah. Exact opposite happened. Um, so I don't know. I think yeah. sometimes you just you get a hit in a niche market. Doesn't yeah. mean like look at the expanse. That's I don't know if you guys have seen that. That's yeah. yes. fabulous. Yes. Fabulous. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and you would think, oh my god, they're gonna be space operas and and um more more <laughs> television shows like this. And yet, no, it's because the majority of space operas don't make it. Just because this one did doesn't prove yeah. a negative necessarily. Yeah. I think I there's think... something. Oh, sorry. No, go no, ahead. I just oh, think well, for I... me, <laughs> for sorry. No, I think for totally me. Fine. For Bridgington's, it was more like mainstreaming what I love already. Right. Um, it was more like, you know, people saying, oh, my gosh, this is so good. I really I loved this. I, I consumed it. I watched all eight episodes Christmas Day. Um, Awesome. But there are some really other good books that are, you know, along these mm-hmm. lines. You should read the Sarah McLean's, the Tessa Dares, the Amelie Howard's. Like, read these books, too. These are good. Um. Maybe it's yeah, just. Yeah, I do think your point that it wasn't made for romance fans is actually more evidence that it could be replicated. Because if you're just making to a niche audience and then it hits that niche audience, okay. But if it actually brings in people, you know, and like you don't be number one on Netflix for like weeks um, and not bring in new people. I do think it's going to yeah. need to put like a banner production company needs to be behind it. It needs to be another Shonda land or another like marquee producer has to get behind it still to give it that validity. Um, Again, there's air quotes around validity. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm to preface that. Uh, But I think it does show that, like you said, there is romance and everything and this just like forefronts it, right? Like- Yeah, but um, I I think the point is with Bridgerton, you didn't watch that because it was a historical, whether it romance or not, or a period piece or something like that. You watched it because everyone was watching it. Right. And like I said, I don't necessarily think it's going to be a wave of historical adaptations, right? Because again, that is a very expensive thing, but I think it will show Hollywood that there is this. Oh, no. If you're talking romance, yes, that's already on the uptick. Right. Uh, Romance is being adapted into film. Exactly. Very much growing. And it's been growing for about three years since Netflix first did their first romance Christmas show. Oh, the Christmas Prince? Really well. And actually romance adaptations growing. But yeah, historicals, I don't think so. One, because like I said before, most of them fail or or barely break even. 
But two, you didn't you didn't watch Bridgerton for the historical aspect. That was just a fun extra thing, as opposed to something like, oh, I've got this great medical drama. Well, you watched House because you love medical dramas. You watch, I don't know, Chicago MD or whatever these other shows are because you like medical dramas. And that's why right. another medical drama would be able to, to stand on its own legs. Yeah. Right. No, I, I do agree with that. That is not necessarily opening the door for broadly for historical, but I do I think... wish, though, because <laughs> I'm prejudiced. I could watch that a billion yeah. times. Yeah. Oh, I know. God. 2005, the sizzling energy. And I, I, I just said I, I'm not into historicals, but Pride and Prejudice 2005. Pride and Prejudice, yeah. My daughter and I we watch it every time we're down. We're like, I'm not having a good day. Is it, <laughs> should we Zoom PMP? And she's like, yes, we yeah. should. <laughs> I'm so, also not into historicals, but, um, and I haven't seen Bridgerton, but I watched previously before that, the show Sanditon. And it was, that oh. ended after one season and it ended on this horrible cliffhanger because it was supposed to have another season and it was like devastating for the romance oh. that happened. Right. And so I was like, I happened to like connect with a whole bunch of people on Twitter and Facebook, just like they friended me. I So I see all their stuff and they've been pushing for this second season. And because Bridgerton blew up, there was this second push and just anecdotally because I see them on my timeline it seems like they're getting somewhere now wow. with that second season that they've been praying and pe like literally yeah. petition after petition yeah. and but, writing letters and and Sanditon that's a hard one pushed I think they pushed Sanditon thinking it was going to be the next Downton Abbey and when they didn't have Downton Abbey numbers they cut it yeah and it was um, so good and I'm not a historical <laughs> fan I just I, I mean, don't Theo, like Theo James I hear yeah. you, but I loved Bridgerton, but I, I've never, I'm not going to lie, I've never read a historical, historical romance ever before <laughs> that, but I'm, this I'm would, this would make me want to after yeah. watching it. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. now, you know, I feel somewhat interested and, and it's readers and you see, you know, I hear all the time now it's, it's people asking for um, historical recommendations. So Hopefully, yeah. you know, it'll help some authors that have been wanting to, you know, have their work seen. It's, yeah. Well, like I said earlier at the beginning of this podcast, I really think historical fiction sales are going to just keep climbing this year. I agree. With or without Bridgerton. Um, we have a book coming out in Mass Market Paperback. I think it's this summer. Um, it's called Hitch to the Gunslinger. It's a Western rom-com. Possibly one of the funniest things I have ever read in my entire life. <laughs> And I'm doubling down because I think not only is historical going to continue to grow, but I think it's going to branch. Um, I think World War II romances are going to have finally have their that day. I would read. <laughs> yeah, I'm very interested in historicals that are not Regency. Yeah, I was a history major. Like so much of the historical romance market is Regency. I know there's like plenty outside of that, like Beverly Jenkins, right? Yeah. Like beautiful historicals that are not like <laughs> regency, not regency settings yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um and so Holistical. i'm definitely i'm very interested in like west like gold rush i'm very interested in like 30s depression rural type i know these are like kind of niche <laughs> settings really? slightly but i'm i'm definitely i i hope that this gets publishers to take another look at like okay let's think let's think about historicals that are not just regency right. england yeah. you like, sit here jody and i can name for you like 
10 different books that take place out west i can you know like because like <laughs> i'm like jude Devereaux's her book eden it was like uh, amazing twin of, fire, yeah. twin of ice twin of fire twin of ice that's in colorado like um all the taggarts just the all, mighty, take them all. Yes. Like, I'm sitting here going, oh, Joanna Lindsay, she had one where it takes place in um, uh, Texas during the transition from the uh, the American-Mexican War, and the woman owns a panther, for goodness sakes. Right? <laughs> and Julie Garwood in her For the Roses series, it's um, turn-of-the-century romance into Montana and stuff. Like, I'm just sitting here going... Oh, I know. I've read that book. Yeah, I can get you that book. Anyway. I, I recently <laughs> read a, a Laverle Thompson? Thomas? I'm bad with names. What, was it Laverle Spencer? Spencer, yes. And she has Whoa. a book um, that's like right on the cusp of World War One. No. She and Never. Fern Michaels. Now those are old school. Um, yes, I read one. Uh, I read the Laverle Spencer one at the at the like recommendation of um, Rebecca Weatherspoon, because um, uh, I, I was looking for something that was going to make me like dry heave cry. Um, <laughs> that's, that's what I requested, um, and that's what that's what she gave me, and I enjoyed that one. Well, like even the flavor era, I'm going to totally age myself, but do you guys remember a movie with Tom Selleck and Bess Armstrong, like from the 80s? You ever seen that? It's called High Road to China. I must have seen it a thousand times when I was a kid. <laughs> like a thousand times. Because uh, this is back when HBO first started and they would show the same movie like 300 oh, yeah. times. <laughs> High Road to China is on again. I'm like, yay, so exciting. <laughs> it was set in the flapper era. Um, I just think we're going to see a lot of interesting, fun, historical, different um, subgenres. Finally, yeah. nobody wants to to read about it wearing a mask. Right. Um, right. We've seen in contemporary romance and mass market paperback. Go to your go to your local Walmart and see how many covers have couples on them now. Almost none, because we have a flinch reaction when we see people close together breathing <laughs> the same air. Yeah. So a lot and of do we flinched think... right now. You saying? Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll end this on this. Anybody have any projections for 2021? Um, are we going to see quarantine and romance? God, I hope I not. One. Listen, I wrote this knowing full well. So as a single person, as a single person who is in her mid twenties just finally like coming into my like oh wow i look in the mirror and i'm like actually maybe i i'm sexy and i'm stuck in maybe and i want <laughs> maybe and i Definitely. wanted to i was like i have to reimagine s something where there are two people who are going through this who are also getting to like fuck each other I think someone could write, and maybe you did, probably did, I believe you did, could write an amazing quarantine romance. I just need to wait like three to five years. Very, very, very fair. Very fair. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I mean, for it's a novella, thankfully. Um, and it's, you know, they're not like, they're in the desert, so it's like very secluded. So it's like a little, like slightly safer. But I, I was like, I 100% understand that there will be like so many people who are straight up just like absolutely not and that i respect it i promise i respect it <laughs> but i did write one because i needed to for my soul right. <laughs> therapy therapy and writing yes. anybody but else have other any people i don't know maybe yeah. not 
Probably not. Um, anybody else have any predictions for 2021? I have a couple. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll, I'll go quick because I know everyone. Oh, you're fine. Me, but, uh, um, I would say like with TikTok growing so much, um, I feel like new adult is going to have some kind of an uptick um, more, you know, even though it's been around a while, I think that, you know, just there's, there's, you know, because there's book talkers or book, talk whatever you call them you know and and younger younger um audiences are going to see these book talks and you know there might be a more uh call for them i i think i mean even my own daughters will say oh i i saw this book on you know and they don't even read that i'm, I'm not gonna lie they're not like big readers so it's funny the last... how they'll tell me you know in the last month, we have bought three books because my daughter saw them on TikTok. Yeah, she's like, so, this, she likes fantasy. You know, and she's like, they're saying this book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that, I think that I, I still have a strong connection to rom-coms because I feel like maybe not every book, but I feel like people still need to laugh because things aren't, are still the way they are in the world um i also think that you know there's always some kind of a call for an angsty rip your heart out romance you know some people have you know the the just want to feel that real tension and um you know just the push and the pull and not fake angst though we call it fake angst like not anxious to have angst <laughs> like it has to actually have a purpose to it you know um so those are those are things that I'm noticing and I I think that you know that they may continue I'm not saying forever but for for a good while yeah that's my thought on that anybody else have any thoughts to okay well historicals I also historicals. think fiction going to go through the roof uh, yes I, I, you're right the divorce totally rate is super yep. high from <laughs> covid so i think yep. the outcropping so of that is going to be women's fiction um mm -hmm. is going to do really really well um i think fantasy and ya is going to continue to grow i think ya is going to break into two pieces upper ya and lower ya mm -hmm. sex on the page okay. and sex not on the page honestly but there's that's so, so many adults that read ya now Huh? Mm -hmm. That's so interesting because I was just thinking about this. I have sitting right here these violent delights, um, which great. It's a YA like Romeo mm -hmm. and Juliet retelling with monsters set in uh, Shanghai. It's really cool. But I I was just thinking about that like the YA like market as a whole and like what I don't read a ton of YA and I also don't. Um, I'm not a like sex <clears throat> on the page YA type of person. Like I have romance, so like you know, I'm yeah, oh, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> but um, that is really interesting. So do you think because I can full I fully see the difference, even if we're just talking about like how many of them are like saying like fuck now on page oh, yeah. when I when I was like reading YA at 13 that you you. You didn't it's that. a combination of the subject matter, teens today, upper teens, yeah, 
a vast majority of them are exposed to subjects that yeah. maybe their parents weren't as a teen and they're more everyday. I mean, um, so there's, there's that that's going to break it. Also, I think NA is now gonna dig into the upper end of YA and actually get shelf space there because we're seeing YAs that are actually 18 to 20 year olds. Yeah. And they're yeah. being called YAs and they're breaking right. up. I think Sarah J Moss kind of started this whole thing with the controversy of her books not really being YA and then they recovered them right. recently and everything. Red, but white, but it is blue. a YA voice and it is a YA story. So I think we're going to slowly see it kind of splinter in two and it's probably going to be broken, still shelved in YA, but broken in the designation of the age range um, yeah. for the YA. It'll be start, you know, 12 or 13 and up versus 15 and up. And mm -hmm. that's going to be like the, the designator for this upper YA. And I'm, I'm pretty excited. There's a lot of adults that read YA. So they make up like 50% of YA readers, yeah. right? Something like yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. It's really fascinating because uh, we could do a whole podcast on it. So I'll be very quick. But millennials, Gen X and Gen Z buy and want things so differently look at romance so differently that having a YA book that satisfies all three generations it's very hard to do and appeal yeah. to 12 and 13 year olds mm -hmm. um, yeah yeah so yeah I think I think YA is going to break and then you're going to see these fun really interesting things happen and then the other thing is what I'm very excited about which is I believe we're going to get more diverse authors on the mass market paperback shelves mm -hmm. yeah. um, Walmart has, has announced an initiative I think something with 15% of their shelves are not going to be guaranteed for diverse authors going forward. Um, I think that's really huge. Um, that's amazing. The majority of mass markets bought in the Midwest. So I think this is a really positive direction for mm -hmm. our country. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm excited. That makes me happy to hear that. Yep. Um, but okay. So thank you everyone for joining us tonight. Thank I you. I really appreciate you. you giving me thank your time. Thank you for having us. It was thank so you, nice everyone. to meet all Nice to meet everyone. Thank you. Um, you are all welcome back anytime. Anytime <laughs> come back and join us. So thank you thank so you. much. Thank you. Check out bookcaseandcoffee.com for our on-the-shelf show notes. If you like the podcast, please leave a review. If you'd like to support us directly, join our Patreon and receive exclusive content only available to Patreon members. 